recently uh, about a man in Wellington who works uh, quite high up uh, for the Red Cross uh, in disaster response and logistics. And uh, he came through the uh, Kaikoura quake, which shook Wellington up a fair bit as well. Uh, and his apartment was strewn with furniture and books and possessions in a way uh, very familiar to you folk here. But he decided that he was a bit short of emergency supplies himself, though. So he went off to Bunnings to get a few torches and batteries and things. And as he walked back to his uh, inner-city apartment, carrying his emergency supplies, he saw a fire engine outside his apartment and was told that the cinemas next door were about to fall on his apartment building. And he had 10 minutes in which, uh, in a rather confused state, he got his laptop, toothbrush and toothpaste and not much else. So even those who we might think would be able, best able, to cope uh, in a disaster may not always be the best prepared. I just have to tell you that I um, saw a gastro specialist the other day and he told me he still had his bowel screening kit in the, in the bathroom after six months. So I thought... <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, it's not only us. <laughs> Preparedness. Preparedness and making the right choices are the themes of our readings today. And we're rapidly uh, approaching the end of the liturgical year and our journey through Matthew's Gospel. And in Matthew's uh, scheme of things, we've come uh, to the end of Jesus' public ministry. And before his passion, he is giving us what in biblical terms, is called a farewell discourse to his disciples. But it's couched in themes of eschatology in the face of the last things, where do disciples find hope? And so lots of apocalyptic language and imagery with symbols and larger-than-life images to reveal God's presence within human history, however dark it may seem. And so Jesus, in these final chapters uh, towards the end of Matthew, speaks of the destruction of the temple, signs of the end, persecutions, the rise of false messiahs and false prophets, and then the coming of the Son of Man. And as so often, he speaks in parables, including today's well-known uh, parables of the parable of the ten bridesmaids. Just the uh, last time that I was in Bethlehem in 2015, uh, we came out of the Church of the Nativity quite late in the afternoon and walked full tilt into a full-on Palestinian wedding procession uh, on the way to the church uh, of St. Catherine for a wedding. And it was complete with brass band and the most amazing uh, Palestinian bagpipes and uh, beautifully dressed young women uh, dancing, children everywhere, the whole community uh, coming to this wedding. And I felt like I could have been in the middle uh, of this parable um, as they came along. Matthew paints the parable according to his uh, way. Uh, he seems to see things in, in black and white, Matthew. So things are either black or white, good or bad, wise or foolish. And so here we have these ten young women uh, probably just in their early teens or pre-teens, as uh, women were eligible to be married at about age 12 then. And according to local marriage custom, 
the bridegroom would come to the house of the bride to collect her and then take her back to his home for the wedding banquet. So perhaps these uh, bridesmaids are part of the groom's family acting as his escort. Anyway, as we heard, five have got spare flasks of oil and five don't. The bridegroom is delayed for whatever reason. It's a familiar motif of these chapters. And perhaps that reflects the early church grappling with the delay of Jesus' promised return or parousia. I think we saw that same grappling going on in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians when those grieving the loss of loved ones who've died worry that they will have missed out on Jesus' gift of resurrection at his return. But Paul assures them that living or dead, we belong to God and all will meet Jesus and be with him at his coming. Well, at midnight in the parable, the bridegroom suddenly arrives. And of course, it would be dangerous and highly inappropriate for women to be out at night without light. And so the foolish women ask for a loan of oil as their lamps are going out due to the delay. The wise women, perhaps to us, sound a little bit heartless but the reality is, if they'd shared their oil, perhaps all their lamps would have gone out and they'd all have been left in the dark. So the foolish ones go off in a protracted attempt to find someone awake enough to sell them some oil. And meanwhile, the wise ones go into the banquet with the bridegroom and the door is shut. When the foolish ones finally make it, they hear those rather chilling words, I do not know you, clearly reflecting Jesus' words earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many deeds of power in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Just what does it mean to be one of the wise here? The word for wise is phronomos, um, only used in the parables actually, and it suggests it has sort of that aspect of being shrewd and prudent uh, for your own self-preservation, able to fulfil the role that you need to do, vigilant and well-prepared open to really practical, down-to-earth wisdom for everyday living and equipped for the long haul. But one uh, commentator, Barbara Reed, actually suggests the wise ones here may actually be too self-protective, hoarding all the oil so there's not enough to share with others. And perhaps that's a large hint to Westerners to think about our attitude to scarce resources and how we share them around our world in this time. This uh, parable was actually interpreted in the early church to refer to the spiritual resources that we need to live out good lives and wise lives of discipleship. And oil, then as now, is a symbol of the anointing of God's spirit, that life-giving energy 
which will enable us to offer compassion and love and to work for a just world. In the 7th century, Isaac of Nineveh put it like this. There's a love like a small lamp which goes out when the oil is ended, or like a rain-fed stream which goes dry when the rain no longer feeds it. But there's also a love like a spring gushing from the earth, never to be exhausted. Perhaps it reminds us of that spring of living water that Jesus promises the woman at the well in Samaria. Jesus promises out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. The very uh, earliest Christian house church that we've discovered is actually in Syria and its ruins, but it has a wall fresco depicting women carrying torches and bowls, and they're approaching a, a white structure. And it's thought that this could actually be a depiction of the parable of the bridesmaids, but recast carrying those torches and bowls of oil for the anointing of those who are going to be baptised on Easter Day. Recalling that the early church used that uh, wedding imagery for the marriage of the new Christian as part of the church, the bride of Christ, to Christ the bridegroom. And even today, uh, you'll recall in our baptism service, we light a little candle from the Paschal candle and give it to the newly baptised with those words, shine with the light of Christ. So Jesus' final call to us all is to keep awake, to be alert for the bridegroom coming amongst us when we least expect it. Joy Cowley has a lovely poem uh, about this called Neighbourhood Watch. And she says this, Be alert for the outsider, the one who doesn't fit. Be alert for the one of no fixed abode. Be alert for the one who challenges authority. Be alert for the one who treats saints and murderers as equals in the name of love. Be alert for the one who has no respect for property. Be alert for the one who turns your values upside down. Be alert for the one who disturbs your peace. Be alert for the one who follows you like a beggar demanding your everything. Be alert for the one who conceals his identity in your heart, for his name is Jesus. Joy's words, often as challenging as Jesus to us. But sometimes, I think, at this stage of the year, all we have left within us is to come to Jesus with the prayer of that old song, which I can remember singing uh, at Sunday school, Give me oil in my heart, keep me burning till the break of day. Give me oil. These words I found encouraging from another of Joy Carley's uh, psalms, this, this time just called Little Lights. Jesus spoke of little lights, candles, lamps, not great bonfires, just small, steady flames to brighten some dark corner of the house. 
Come to think of it, Jesus always preached little. Children, flowers, sparrows, the widow's mite, busted seeds, loaves and fishes. He didn't expect people to make great gestures. I guess he knew that little is the currency of everyday living. So let's thank God for those little lights, the warm smile, the hug, the phone call, a wave from a passing car, a cup of tea, an open door, a talent freely shared. How often when my own candle has gone out, has someone else relit it from their lamp of kindness? That can't happen with a big light. I mean, how close can you get to a supernova? So may we let our little lights shine before others, that they may see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. Amen.